Good morning, everyone. Welcome once again to Chatham Community Church. I'm so glad y'all are here. Uh, my name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm glad to say all of you here this morning. I have some faces I haven't seen in a while. Even or some kids in Chatham kids I hadn't seen in a while, and I was excited to see them. And so if you are a guest, whether it's your first time or your first time in a long time, I'd be glad to say hi to you. I'll be in the back at the end of the service. Come stop by. Uh, it was about 4.30 in, on a normal weekday afternoon last summer when I got a text from a friend. Uh, the text was offering me tickets to a Durham Bulls game if I wanted them. The person couldn't go to the game and was offering me the tickets. It was at that night, so I had two hours to figure out whether I could make it to the game on time. So I didn't have anything planned. It was a normal weekday for me, nothing special going on. So I said, hold on a second. I sent a quick text to another buddy of mine to see if he could join me. He said yes. So then we quickly arranged a way for me to get the tickets. And then my friend came and we bolted uh, driving at the speed limit, I promise you. Uh, either way, I wasn't the one driving, so it was okay. But we drove to the stadium, found parking, and we were right on time as we joined the masses to make our way into the stadium. And then we got to the person who scans your tickets to let you in, and the ticket wouldn't scan. And then they tried again, and the ticket wouldn't scan. And then he tried again, and the ticket wouldn't scan, and this line is backing up right behind us, and there's all this sense of tension because the game's about to start, and he's like, this is odd. And he looks at the tickets, and he says, oh, these tickets are for tomorrow's game. So, you know, I'd already made the drive to Durham. This was going to be my first Durham Bulls game. I wasn't going to give up so easily. So I was like, well, let's go to the box office. Let's see if we can buy some tickets for today's game. I'm not going to give up this opportunity. So we make our way to the box office, and there's a line there too. And, you know, first pitch is going to start, going to be thrown in just a little bit. And I'm getting a little bit anxious, and we get to uh, the ticket booth, and I explain what happened to the person there. And she says, well, well, give me your tickets. And I hand her my ticket. And there's some complications. She can't change the tickets. She's trying to do that, but she's like, the tickets aren't in your name. I don't know that there's much I can do. And, you know, and I'm trying to say to her, it's okay, I'll buy a ticket. But she goes, hold on a second. And I get a master class in customer service from the person that was working the ticket booth there at the Durham Bulls Stadium. Uh, she then keeps working at her computer. She goes and gets another colleague, pulls that colleague away from helping someone else to try to figure out this problem. They make some phone calls. They still can't figure it out. They go and get a supervisor. They tell them the story. They work at it. They work at it. They work at it until finally, with a big smile on her face, she hands me two tickets to comparable seats, and I get a chance to catch my first Durham Bulls game ever, all because of that. Now, the game wasn't great. <laughs> Those of you who are fans of the Durham Bulls might not be surprised by that. There was nothing memorable about the game. I remember absolutely nothing about the game. But I got a great story out of it. And I got a great story out of it because I was willing to entertain an interruption. The great story started with an interruption. In fact, some of the best stories start with an interruption, don't they? Think of some of your favorite works of fiction, whether movies or great TV shows or books that you've read. How many of them? In fact, I bet more than a few if you thought about it. Uh, and more than a few of them, something or someone interrupts the normal flow of the lives of the people in the story, usually the protagonists. 
story. And from that interruption, a great story emerges, right? Since I'm a preacher, I'll say the the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings are kind of like that. Gandalf interrupts normal Hobbit life to lead them on a great adventure. Usually it's where it starts. But think to your life, too. Some of the great things, great stories that you remember from your life in the midst of all the normalcy that is life or the lives of people that you know, some of the ones that are memorable usually started because something interrupted the normal course of events. Something interrupted the regular flow of of life, and that's what led to something memorable. What if... What if the best story that's out there for us begins with an interruption? What if the best story that's out there for us begins with an interruption? In fact, what if it's one interruption to start and then more and more interruptions along the way inviting us deeper and deeper into a better story? What if living the story we were made for, the story we were created for, depends on our willingness to let ourselves be interrupted by Jesus? What if it depends on letting ourselves be interrupted by Jesus? During this season of Lent, as we, as we make our way towards Easter, we've been in a series here at Chatham Community Church that we've called Stepping Into the Story. For more than 2,000 years, people have found a life-giving story by stepping into the story of Jesus, stepping into life with him. And the accounts we have of Jesus' life in the New Testament, the four Gospels, as we call them, we see the story that Jesus is writing for himself and for humanity and for the world. It's a story of love. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of an eternity of goodness. And it's a story that he invites us into. He invites us to interrupt our stories, to interrupt the normal way we've been living so that together with him, a better story can be written. A better story can be written. And that's what's going on in the passage Hillary read. I'm so grateful for Hillary having read the passage and bringing it to life. Because that story starts out like a day of, like any other. The woman left her home that day, as she probably had many days before. The midday sun was probably burning hot on her skin, as it had often before. It's the noonday sun as she makes her way to the well. She makes her way alone. Now, sure, it would have been easier to go in the morning when the sun wasn't blaring as hot, when all the other women in the village would go to the well to get the water. But she knows she's not welcome. She knows she's not welcome at that time. So she goes when no one else is going to be there, when no one else will see her, when no one else will be there to look down on her or talk about her or, worse still, ignore her. Yet regardless, the daily trip, is a consistent reminder that she doesn't belong. It's a consistent reminder of who she is or how she's seen. And no matter how many times she comes, she will always have to come back the next day. The water will always run out. There will always be a need to come back at the same time to the same place, her life unchanged. It's the same story day after day. It's the story that's normal for her. Today, however, is different. On this day, something is going to change. She is going to have a conversation that's going to change the course of her life. Today, she's going to be interrupted by Jesus. She's going to encounter him. 
Now, let me tell you, Jewish rabbis did not have to go through Samaria. You may have caught that at the beginning of the passage. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jewish rabbis didn't have to go through Samaria. In fact, it was a particular custom for Jewish people to avoid Samaria at all costs on their way to Jerusalem. Even though going through Samaria was the shorter route, they would go around Samaria in order to avoid it. No one had to go through Samaria. They did not deal with Samaritans. They did not like Samaritans. They especially didn't talk to Samaritan women, and they would never, never, ever, ever, ever have asked a Samaritan woman for anything, let alone accept anything from her, because it would have made them unclean. It would have tainted them. It would have spoiled them in a way. Yet, Jesus had to pass through Samaria. And in that town, among among the rejected, he meets the outcast. Among the rejected, he meets the outcast and he speaks to her. Jesus has stepped into her story. Jesus has interrupted what is a normal day for her. By the end, her life will be changed. It will be completely changed. She'll have entered the Jesus story, a new story. It's a story that we get to remember about her. And it starts with Jesus entering her world. Jesus entering her story. Jesus inserting himself into her normal life. And that's not just true for her. It's true for every one of us. Jesus' invitation starts by him stepping into our story. Jesus invites us into his story by first entering into ours. The very act of the incarnation, of Jesus taking on human form, is an entering into the story of humanity. Jesus enters into the story of humanity, and as he enters into the story of humanity, he announces the story that he is telling, the story that he is writing, the story that he is bringing about, the one he's inviting all the people around him into, the one he invites us into. It's the story he's writing with his very life. It's the story he's inviting people to follow him into, but he doesn't extend that invitation from afar. He doesn't extend it from a distance. He does it. He extends the invitation from the highways and byways of first century Jerusalem, of first century towns and villages. He does it among the rich and among the poor. He does it among the learned and the unlearned. He he does it among the women and the men. He does it among young and old. He enters into all of their stories. And in entering into the story, he invites them into his. And he still does that today. He doesn't ask us to clean up our acts before we enter into his story. He doesn't ask us to go to a specific place so that we can gain access into his story. He doesn't require a graduate level education before we can participate in his story. In this story that we read, Jesus crosses ethnic cultural, religious, social boundaries to meet this woman where she is, as she is, and he crosses those boundaries to enter into our story as well. He meets this woman at the well she was at every day. The well she was at every day, and he meets us where we are and how we are every day. And he extends to us the same invitation He extends to her. He steps into our story and invites us to step into his. Many years ago, I was uh, 
I was part of a small group or visited a small group, and this man was there who had some rough edges, and he had had a radical encounter with Jesus, and he had to change the way he approached God, to change the way he approached faith, and, and, and he was reading the Bible, right? He, and he, he was coming to these small groups, and I remember one day he was so excited because he, he was looking at it with new and fresh eyes, and he speaks out. He, he pipes up in the middle of the small group and said, I was reading this passage, and I had this thought, this blank is real, and in that blank was not blank, but was a word <laughs> that I'm not supposed to say here on Sunday mornings, you know? He had rough edges when, before he met Jesus, and he didn't have to soften those in order to come to Jesus. He still had them after he came to Jesus. Now, Jesus has worked on him, and some of those edges have gotten rounded off. But Jesus didn't wait until he got to that point to invite him into his story. Jesus doesn't wait until you get to X point to invite you into his story. He meets you where you're at. He meets you how you're at, and he invites you into his. And it's not just a one-time thing. It's an ongoing invitation to go further and further into his story, to go deeper and deeper into the narrative, to step out of our story and into his. So I wonder, what might your invitation look like today? Because Jesus is here. He's meeting us here, and he's extending once again the invitation, step further into my story. What does your invitation look like? The story Jesus invites the woman into is the one he's been inviting people into all along. It's the one you and I are being invited into. It's a story that starts with a world that was created for good, where things operated in harmony. There was a connection between humanity and God. There was a connection among humanity, healthy relationships. There was deep connection there. There was deep connection between humanity and the creation, the world we were placed into. And all of that worked together in such a way that it was not just good, it was very good. It's very, very, very good. That's the story that Jesus is telling. But it's also a story where things break down. And they break down because humanity severs their connection to God. Humanity says we can write a better story on our own. Humans choose to go in their own direction. But a story without God in the center proves to not be very good. It proves to not be very good. We don't have to look hard to see that that's still true today. It's true around us, but it's also true in our hearts. Try as hard as we might, we can't seem to fix it. We are distant from God. We have brokenness in our relationships with each other, and our world doesn't seem to cooperate. We can't seem to get it right. Humanity has been trying this ever since they decided it was better to write a story without God. They haven't gotten it right. And we've not done much better. Even though just like every generation that came before us, we thought we could get it right. We thought we could do better than the previous generation. We just can't seem to get quite far enough. Even when we make some improvements, the brokenness, the pain, the damage persists. There is dysfunction in our world, and Jesus enters into that story. 
Jesus enters into that story and interrupts that story to say this does not have to be the story. We don't have to settle for a world in which we can basically just try hard enough so that it's not so bad. There's a better story. It does not have to be the story for humanity. It does not have to be the story for you. It does not have to be the story for me. Jesus interrupts and announces a different story. The story Jesus is telling is one of a turnaround. It's one of putting things back together. Jesus is telling a redemptive story. He's telling a redemption story, and it's a story he invites each and every one of us into. We get to step into that story. The redemption story Jesus is writing includes us if we'll allow ourselves to be interrupted by him. If we'll allow that interruption, we get to be part of the redemptive story. Whether our story feels like right now it's on a high or whether we're keenly aware that things aren't quite working as they ought to be, or whether we're at a low, low, low point. There's a redemptive story. There's a redemption story that we are invited into that's so much better than what we can imagine. If your story is going okay right now without God, and you're like, I don't know that I need God, my story is going all right, let me tell you, there's something so much better than what you can imagine. And if your story is down low or it feels like it's on a bumpy road, that does not have to be the permanent narrative. And you don't have to turn it around on your own. Jesus has written a redemption story and he's writing a redemption story that you and I and all of us can be part of if, if we'll allow Jesus to interrupt the normal course of events of our lives. And that's what the woman does. Let's be clear, the woman doesn't have to engage Jesus. There are many reasons why she ought not to. She doesn't have to respond when he asks questions. She could have gotten her water and gone back home. She could have continued living what had become the normal life for her. She could have disengaged at any point in the conversation, especially when it got uncomfortable, as it does later on in the conversations. But she engages with the interruption. She stays in the interruption. She welcomes the interruption. She participates And it changes her life. It changes her life. Part of the reason she stays is because Jesus offers her living water. Jesus offers her living water. He looks at the well and he says, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And she says to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The thought of not thirsting again is incredibly appealing to her. But much more appealing is the implication. The implication as she's understanding it in that moment is that she won't have to come back to the well every day at noon. That she won't have to come back under the blaring sun. That she won't have to come back to the reminder of where her life is the reminder of how isolated she is, the reminder of how things seem to have taken a turn for the worse. She won't have to have the daily reminder of her mistakes, of her pain. Jesus' offer, Jesus' offer, knocks on the door of her deepest need. It's one that gets uncovered further in the story as it develops. It's a need for love. It's a need for belonging. 
It's a need to not have the past hanging over her for the rest of her life. It's a redemptive story. It's a redemptive story. And in redemptive stories, needs like that are met. Some of hers might overlap with your needs. Some might not. But all of us have deep and true needs. There are needs that are deepest and truest in us. They can't quite be satisfied by our own efforts. They can't quite be satisfied by us trying to write the story on our own, no matter how hard we try. But we're invited into the redemption story. And in the redemptive story, our deepest and truest needs are satisfied. That's a guarantee. In the redemptive story, our deepest and truest needs are satisfied. The need for love is satisfied in the redemptive story. The need for forgiveness is satisfied in the redemptive story. The need for belonging is satisfied in the redemptive story. The need for purpose is satisfied in the redemptive story. The need for wholeness is satisfied in the redemptive stories. Your deep and true needs are satisfied in the redemptive story. My deep and true needs are satisfied in the redemptive story. Our deep and true needs are satisfied in the redemptive story. The world's deepest and truest needs are satisfied in the redemptive story. Now, sometimes getting at those needs, revealing those needs, satisfying them, means having conversations that you don't want to have. It means conversations go to places you'd rather not go because they touch on pain. That's what happens when Jesus says to the woman, go, call your husband and come back. He's not being dismissive of her. Actually, in this moment, he's making the right move to socially and culturally protect her. He's trying to protect her. But it also reveals a place of pain for her. This is a place of pain. Now, though people make assumptions, the text doesn't tell us why she's been married this many times. It doesn't tell her the particulars. Regardless, whatever the reasons, it seems obvious that this is a source of pain for her a source of sadness, maybe even a source of shame. And she's currently in a relationship that's completely disapproved of culturally, that would make her socially ostracized. It's likely why she comes at noon rather than in the morning with the other women. And it is uncomfortable for Jesus to bring it up. It's uncomfortable for Jesus to bring it up because it lays bare what's going on in her life. And she reflects that it's uncomfortable because she tries to change the subject. She diverts the conversation, but Jesus isn't shaming her in this moment. By revealing this, Jesus isn't shaming her. He wants her to be healed of her pain. He wants her to have her need met. And in order to do that, he has to surface it. In order to heal it, it has to be surfaced. In the redemptive story, our places of pain may need to be brought up. They need, may need to be surfaced. But when they are surfaced, it is never to shame us. It is always to save us. It is always to heal us. It is always to restore us. Many, many, many years ago, when I was exploring Christianity and so was oscillating between faith and non-faith, I was talking to a trusted mentor and I was sharing about my life, and I was specifically talking about the type of relationship or non-relationship I had with my father. It was a story of pain. It was a story of abandonment. It was a story that had all sorts of stuff going on with it. And my friend listened with compassion. 
He asks questions. And then at one point, he looks to me and he says, Jaime, it's time for you to forgive. Now, my father never asked for forgiveness. And my father continually perpetuated pain. So that invitation could have felt in that moment like a shutting down. Like, I just need to stop talking about this and just let it go and forget. But he wasn't inviting me to forget. He was inviting me to release the thing that was capturing my heart, that was holding my heart captive, the thing that was keeping me bitter and angry, the thing that was keeping me wounded. He was inviting me not to, he was inviting me to that, not to shame me, to say, how could you possibly be holding a grudge? Aren't you looking for God? No. He was inviting me to be healed. He was inviting me to be healed. My father has been, uh, has been dead for 16 years almost, and at no point has what he did become okay. But I've lived over 20 years free of the bitterness that I carried for most of my life, or where at that point was all my life. I'm free of it because someone surfaced something, asked questions, let it come out, and then invited me into healing then invited me into healing. The redemptive story is one of wholeness and it's one of healing. But I'm not going to lie and tell you that there aren't going to be moments where it's going to feel painful, where it's going to feel scary, where it's going to feel tenuous, because sometimes it's going to involve us going to places and to have conversations that feel painful. But the intent is never to shame the intent is never to shut down. The intent in surfacing those things is so that we can be freed of them, so that we can be healed, so that we can be saved. As the back and forth between Jesus and the woman continues, we get this beautiful moment, this beautiful moment where after Jesus continually engaging her, she finally reveals her longing. She finally reveals her deep hope. She says, I know, I know, I know that Messiah the Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. She is waiting, waiting, waiting for the Messiah. What a vulnerable and precious moment. This woman who's experienced so much pain, who's got every reason to hide, to put a shell up, to back away, reveals a deep longing, a deep longing. She lays bare her need for a savior to this man that she just met. Can you imagine the surprise she felt? The elation, the relief, when Jesus says, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. She's face to face with the one she was hoping for, with the one she was waiting for, with the one she was longing for, with the one she believes can satisfy every need that she has. He is right there. We have that opportunity as well. See, in the redemptive story, we get to meet the one who saves us. We get to meet the one who save us, saves us. God is not a far-off God. God is a proximate God. He is a near-to-us God. He is a personal God. We are not uh, saved by a decree that is issued by an unknown entity, by a, by a hero from far away. We are saved by a God who steps into our world. He steps into our story. He participates in life with us, and we live out that story with a Holy Spirit who dwells in us, 
who reveals who he is. He reveals who God the Father is. He reveals who Jesus is. We get to know the one who saves us. We get to have an intimate relationship with him. And one day, one day, we get to meet him face to face. A beautiful story that we get to participate in. It's a beautiful story to share. Recently, I heard of a, an eight or nine-year-old child from our church who recently got baptized, right? She publicly proclaimed that she was entering into the story. And uh, I heard this story that, um, you know, they, her and her parents, they have a neighbor, and the parents have been trying for a while to figure out a way to get at whether the neighbor has any sort of church background, knows God, sort of get a sense, but the neighbor's been a little bit cagey about it. They've had a hard time connecting. And one day recently, this child who's recently entered into the story, who's been excited about meeting this Jesus, uh, as the parents are walking out with her, uh, she sees the neighbor, and she makes a beeline straight to the neighbor, goes right up to her and says, hey, what church do you go to? I go to Chatham Community Church. And then she turns right, she's with the name, she turns to the street and says, if you go out this street, you make a right, and she proceeds to give this woman directions to make it to church. This child who's entered into the story instinctively knows that she's entered into a story in which she's not just a passive participant or a recipient only, she is an active collaborator. And the story God is writing for humanity. The woman at the well gets it as well. She gets this also. Her response to the encounter with Jesus is not just to sit there or decide, all right, I'm going to follow Jesus and leave everything behind. She makes a beeline straight back to all the people who had made her feel rejected, who had made her feel alone, whom she hadn't been able to build a connection. She wants them to have this invitation as well. She wants them to be able to take part in it. In the redemptive story, we are not passive participants. We are active collaborators in the story God is writing for the world. You are an active participant in the story God is writing for the people who live around you, for your family, for the people whom you work with, for the people who you work out with, from the people you play sports with, from the people you go to school with, for everything and, and everyone that is around you. You are an active collaborator. I am an active collaborator in the story God is writing for all of us. We don't just get to receive. We get to receive, but we get to participate in what God gives to others as well. Can you think of ways God is inviting you to collaborate in the story this week? The woman's day started like many others before it, but it changed dramatically. In fact, it wasn't just her day that was changed. Her whole life was changed because she engaged in the interruption. She welcomed the interruption. She welcomed Jesus. Derek Redman was a British athlete. He was a runner. And he went to the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona with high hopes and high expectations to medal. He was that good. He posted the fastest time in the first round of the 400-meter dash and was favored to win and won his quarterfinal and was in good position to win the semifinal. As the semifinal gun went off, Derek bolted out along with the other runners and was keeping pace. He was hitting his stride when he heard a pop. He heard a pop, and he went down in pain. He had torn his hamstring. 
And you can see when you watch the video the weight of it all coming down on him. There had been so many years of dedication leading up to this. So much effort. A story that he was writing where he was the athlete who won the Olympics, who represented his country well. This was supposed to be a story of Olympic glory. What else is left? What's the story now? Well, when faced with that question, the first thing he tries to do is finish the story that he had started writing. He gets up wincing in pain. I've never torn my hamstring. I've had other injuries in my leg. Those hurt. I've heard hamstring injuries are way, 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 way more painful. By this point, the, the, the race has ended. But he gets up and he starts to hobble his way to the finish line. Trainers and other Olympic staff try to come get him to sort of lead him off or get him help. He pushes them off. He is committed to finishing the story he came to write. He waves off. He hobbles down the line, and then a man comes down from the crowd. He pushes off security, and he starts to run to catch up to Derek. He's going to interrupt the story that Derek is writing. The man running after Derek is his father. He makes his way onto the track, and he's headed towards Derek. And before Derek sees him, it's like he can sense that someone is trying to come up behind him, and he starts to wave him off. He thinks someone is going to try again to stop him from completing this story. But then he feels his father's hand on him, and he hears his father's voice, and something changes. As his dad reaches him, puts his hand, and grabs Derek's other arm, Derek realizes that his dad is there to help him. He takes his hand. He receives the help in the arm, and they begin to walk together. The story's been interrupted. A new story is being written. Then Derek finally breaks. All the emotion, all the potential shame, all the missed opportunity and the lost hope comes out as he weeps in his father's arms. It is a healing moment as they make their way together to the finish line. As he walks with the one whom he could trust, the one who valued him, the one who entered into the story with him, who interrupted the story, who wanted his healing, who wanted his well-being, a new story is crafted. His father makes the first move. Derek welcomes the interruption, and together they write a better story. One that's remembered by far more people and will be remembered far longer than who actually won that race and eventually went to medal. This was a better story, and they wrote it together. Friends, no matter how well we run in life, all of our lives are going to be hobbled in some way or another at some point. We may try to carry on. We may try to finish the expected life, the normal life, but God comes after us. God comes after us. God chases us down. He interrupts that hobbled narrative, and he invites us into a better story. Would you receive that today? Would you welcome his invitation? Would you write a better story with him? one that will be remembered. Would you receive God's invitation today? Would you welcome his interruption? Let me pray for us. Lord, I'm grateful 
that regardless of whether my story looks good right now or it looks bad or it looks somewhere in between, you've got a better story. You've got a better story and you invite me into it. You invite us into it. Lord, thank you that whether or not we are, we, are, we are collapsed on the ground because we felt the hobbling pain or whether we've gotten up and tried to make it on our own in our own strength with the pain, you chase us down. You come after us. You enter into our story and you invite us to write a better one with you. Lord, for those of us who need healing from pain that might need to be brought up, would we fear not that there be shame on the other side of that, but would we welcome the healing? Would we all welcome your interruption as we need it today?